open up your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 21. 2 Kings chapter 21. Just go to the middle of your Bible and hang a left. You're eventually going to get to it. And if you're using a Bible from the pew in front of you, uh, it is page, uh, I can't even quite read it, 328. 328. Now we're going to stand in a moment as we read God's word. Let me tell you why we stand. And guys, let me speak to you on this one. If you're at a date, if you're out on a date, either with your wife or your girlfriend, and you get to the restaurant before she does, and you're seated at the table, and she gets to the table, if you stay seated, that's actually dishonoring her. You stand and you greet her, and when you stand and you greet her, that is a way of giving her honor, that she is worthy to be stood for. And that's why we stand when we read the chunks of Scripture that we do, because we're giving honor to our God, actually, through the Word of God to Him. So let's stand together. We're going to read God's Word together, recognizing that He is speaking to us exactly the way that He wanted to. 2 Kings 21, 1-9. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah his father had destroyed, and he erected altars for Baal and made an Asherah, as Ahab king of Israel had done, and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem will I put my name. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he burned his son as an offering, and used fortune-telling and omens and dealt with mediums and with necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. And the carved image of Asherah that he had made, he set in the house of which the Lord had said to David and to Solomon his son, In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will not cause the feet of Israel to wander any more out of the land that I gave to their fathers. If only they will be careful to do according to all that I have commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they did not listen. And Manasseh led them astray to do more evil than the nations had done, whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. You may be seated. Well, there's a lot that I'm going to share with you in our final message in the Schemes and Victories series. But I want to start out really one that is not part of the message. It's ancillary or peripheral to it. And that is, did you notice in there, and I tried to draw emphasis to it when I read it, did you notice that God gave the land to Israel? Did you see that? If you're looking at your Bibles, you'll find it. And did you notice that God gave the land to Israel so that he could place his name there? 
Now bring that into what's happening right now and all of the lies that you're hearing in defense of the Palestinian people. Listen, I'm going to be the first one to tell you, no one wants to see people dying. The lie, though, is that that land does not belong to Israel. God is the creator. He owns the land. He chose, it to, he chose to give that land to his people, Israel. It belongs to them. That's the truth, and it's all through the Bible. So when you're confronted by people who are against Israel, saying they, they should not be in that land, let's drive them out of that land, that is a lie, and that is actually against the word of God. And I could take you literally to dozens and dozens of places in the Bible that speak of God giving that land to them. It belongs to Israel. So pull that into your, your head because we are in an information war right now and it's part of the schemes of the enemy. What we're about to see today, however, is the most diabolical scheme of them all. And we've got to see it clearly, and to do that, you've got to allow me to be bold. Now, some of you might be upset with me by the end of this message. That's okay. That means something is speaking to you. It's provoking something. And I would encourage you to think through what is it that that's provoking. And if you need to, come talk to me. I would love to talk to you about it. I'm going to show you three things today in the scheme that we're about to see. Number one, the scheme of Manasseh. The scheme of Manasseh. Now, I want you to sh- I'm going to show you principle number two, or actually not principle, but point number two. What Manasseh is not one of the evil kings of the north called Israel. Don't you remember? I mean, if you read through First and Second Kings or First and Second Chronicles, it's like king after king after king of Israel is wicked. You remember there was civil war in God's people, and they split the kingdom into two. Ten of the tribes went north, called Israel. Two of the tribes stayed faithful. That's called Judah. That's where Jerusalem is. The king that we're looking at, Manasseh, he's not one of the wicked kings of Israel. He's the king of Judah. So here's your principle. Idolatry always, always spreads. Fathers and moms... Whatever idol is in your heart, you have idols in your heart, whether you can believe it or not, they're in my heart too. And if they stay entrenched, they will spread. They do not localize. They do not compartmentalize. And we read in verse 3 of this passage that Manasseh rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. Hezekiah, king of Judah, was a godly king. He's one of my favorite kings. He did amazing things in his faithfulness to God. But he had a son named Manasseh, and here's principle number three, who in his own choices was wicked. Parents, I need you to hear something. There is not an equal sign between how you parent and how your children turn out. There just isn't. You can parent in such a wise, godly way, but your children have their flesh and the devil and the world against them, and they can make them, they will make their own choices. They may not make the choices you make. You cannot carry the burden. If your children have walked away from the Lord, you cannot believe the lie that you must be a terrible person. Take that off of your back. Every one of us 
has our own battle. It doesn't minimize the importance of parenting well and of parenting in a godly way, getting our, the feet of our children close to the way of wisdom that leads to life. We can't get them on that way, but we can direct them to how to find it. You got to do that, but there's no equal sign between how you parent and how your children turn out. Even if you parent terribly, God's grace can rescue Here we've got Hezekiah, godly father, Manasseh, his son, and he erected, verse 3, altars for Baal and made in Asherah. His father destroyed them. He rebuilt them as Ahab, king of Israel, had done and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. And then, to even worse, verse 6, he burned his son. This would be his firstborn male. He burned his son as an offering to one of these gods. He did much evil, end of verse 6, in the sight of the Lord provoking him to anger. If that wasn't enough, he actually built altars to false gods and put them in the holy place in the most holy place of God's temple. In other words, he said, God, move aside. We don't want you to leave. Move aside. It's time to share publicity. we got to put other names on the ticket. You know what that's called? It's called plurality or pluralism. This is all the rage in our country today. Pluralism, here's what it is. We all want to get to the top. Whether you call it nirvana or heaven or enlightenment, you all want to get to the top. There's a mountain you got to climb to get to it. And it doesn't matter which path you take. You could start on Baha'i. You could go to Jehovah's Witness. You could go to Muslim faith. It doesn't really matter. They're all going to get to the top. That's pluralism. That's what Manasseh created. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Pluralism is a lie. It's a heresy. He led them astray, verse 9, to do more evil than the nations had done whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. Not even the Canaanites were as bad as God's people became. We've looked closely At Baal, we've looked closely at Ashtaroth, but now we need to look closely at a false god named Molech. And it all began, if you go all the way back to Solomon, here's principle number four. It doesn't matter how much wisdom God gives you, if you do not choose to obey it and walk in it, it you will be led into sin. There was nobody wiser than Solomon. God gave him more wisdom than anybody else on the earth. Yet here's what we find in Solomon, 1 Kings eleven seven. He built a high place for Kamash, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. Molech was the god of the Ammonites. And behind this false god was a demon of horrific evil. Here's how it worked. Baal draws people away from God. Here's how he does it. He dangles a carrot and the carrot is prosperity and comfort and happiness and satisfaction and and, uh, materialism. All the things that the world promises to give you, Baal dangles it in front of you. If you just come away from Yahweh, I'll give it to you personally. But he doesn't want to just lead people to him. He wants to lead people away from God and straight into the arms of his mythological wife. Her name is Ashtaroth. And her scheme was to 
to corrupt God's people through the promises of sexual fulfillment and power. But she had a partner in evil, and that partner's name was Molech, and he's the most abhorrent of all three of them. It was to Molech that someone is going to turn in the ancient days when they are absolutely desperate to get an answer to prayer. If you are desperate enough, you go to Molech. I'll give you one example from the Bible. When the king of Moab, he doesn't even worship Molech. He worships Kamash. This is how desperate he was. He's losing a battle. When he saw that the battle was going against him, he took his oldest son, his firstborn son, who was to reign in his place, and killed him, offered him for a burnt offering on top of the wall so that all the enemy could see how ardent his passion for Molech was. It didn't even work. But this is the evil of Molech. It's the killing of children. But it's even more than that. We saw last week that the goal, the ultimate goal of Asheroth was to destroy the family. And if you study, and if you enjoy studying ancient civilizations, let's take Rome for an example. We could draw on a lot of them. Rome as an empire lasted a thousand years. But as imperial Rome, you know, emperors on the throne, Caesars, that was 500 years. And what disintegrated Rome was the destruction of the family. Let me explain it to you. You see, in Rome, the father had the legal power of life or death with his children to the day he died. You could have a 40-year-old son, and if that son displeased his father, the father had a legal means to put his son to death. But here's how it more popularly worked. The father got his wife pregnant. She had a baby. The midwife who delivered the baby would lay the baby on the ground before the father who was standing. And if the father bent down and picked up the baby, then the baby was formally and legally brought into his family. If he turned his back and walked away, then the baby was put on the nearest steps of a Roman courthouse, left exposed, often eaten by wild dogs, if not picked up by somebody with a gift of mercy to to adopt that child. This was happening all over Rome. If the baby was disfigured, almost certainly the baby was given up and exposed. If the father didn't think he could afford to raise another child financially, he would leave the child exposed. Human sacrifice, friends, is the symptom that the family has disintegrated in a culture. And the killing of children is the signal of the deepest level of depravity of a nation. Did you hear what I just said? Now, I'm going to get bolder as we go. And I would encourage you to listen carefully. The killing of children signals the deepest level of depravity of a nation. There is no one more vulnerable than a baby in the womb. Here is how the ancient commentary called the Jewish Midrash described the worship of Molech. It's very murky. A lot of historians have a lot of different views. I'm just taking you back to how the Jews described it. And this is a very old document. They said Molech was an idol with the face of a calf. 
and open hands like someone who wants to take something from another. You can keep reading it. Let me describe it. It was a bronze statue, and inside that statue, they would build a fire as hot as they could. It would be a furnace, and the hands were tilted slightly upward, but the hands were rigged on a pulley system. A father that was desperate for Moloch to answer his prayers would come with his firstborn child, give that child to the priests of Molech, who would place the child in the hands of the statue. Priests would be chanting, drums would be beating so that it would cover up the cries and the terror of the baby. And then at the priest's signal, pulley, the chains would be pulled and the hands would rise up and the baby would roll down the arms into the hollowed inner part where the fire was to be consumed for Molech. That's how they worshiped Molech. It was a depth of depravity for a nation. You don't get lower than this. And it has found its way here to America. It is because of the unparalleled evil of the child-killing demon called Molech that Denise and I will never, ever vote for any politician that is pro-abortion or pro-choice. They will never get our vote, ever. And you can call me a single issue voter all you want. There's a lot of other issues that we're looking at, but this one rises to the top. We will never vote for someone who is pro-choice or pro-abortion. That would be unconscionable to us. So what do we do? Point number two, no half measures. No half measures. Study history, and you will learn this just like I have. The first nation to legalize abortion publicly, legally, was the Soviet Union. It was in the 1920s under the Marxist Lenin. And it would be very difficult to disagree that he was either demonically possessed or demonically influenced. Anybody that murders people and children, there's a demonic influence behind them, if not possession. By the time he died at 53 years old, he was responsible for millions of his own countrymen and countrywomen and country children's deaths. And a legacy of abortion would spread from the Soviet Union and begin to make it around the developing world. Take Germany under the Third Reich with Hitler. He opposed, they opposed abortion for the German babies but demanded it for the Jewish babies. They slaughtered 1.5 million estimated children, Jewish children, trying to eradicate the Jews from the earth to make the bloodline for their Aryan people pure. And then it began to creep into America, starting with Colorado. And then a handful of other states and abortion began to gain momentum until finally Molech would no longer be in the shadows. He would come out in the open on January 22nd, 1973. He moved and influenced the Supreme Court in America to legalize the murder of the unborn. He is killing children in order to destroy a family. 
Baal draws people away from God. He leads them to Ishtar or Asheroth for a sexual revolution. And all of a sudden, thousands and thousands of mothers in the mid to late 60s, found them, women found themselves pregnant with children they did not want, but they were caught up in the sexual freedom of that revolution. What are they going to do? Here comes Molech as the solution. For many who worshipped at their altars, babies interfered with the American dream. They were unwanted consequences of their sexual freedom. You won't find more unashamed priests and priestesses than what you find in Planned Parenthood. You're not going to find them. What do we do? There cannot be any half measures in this spiritual battle, yet that is exactly what you find God's people doing again and again all through scriptures into the modern day. Let me give you two or three examples. Asa, Asa, the king of Judah, walked in the ways of the Lord, but listen, there's a caveat, there's a but. He did not remove the high places. These were altars to false gods. He walked with the Lord, but he would not get rid of the high places. Well, predictably, his son Jehoshaphat, who was also a godly man, he was also a godly king, but he also took half measures. He did not, the Bible says, remove the high places. Remember, sin goes downhill, and when it does, it can often pick up steam. Jehoshaphat has a son. His name is Jehoram, and Jehoram returned to the ways of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, even married their daughter and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Half measures sends sin down the line into our children and grandchildren, and usually it becomes stronger. Did you hear that? parents if you have an idol in your life or I have one in my life and I will not take full measures against it it survives the root system is intact and it will go down into your children down into your grandchildren and unless God interrupts by his grace it will pick up steam and become worse we must pull the idols out by the roots or our children suffer. But let me show you what God does as he interrupts Judah by grace. If you want to open your Bibles or turn your Bibles to 2 Kings 23, you'll see it in front of you, 2 Kings chapter 23. Let me show you somebody that would not take half measures. He was in an all-out war, and he executed it brilliantly. We're going to meet Josiah, the king of Judah. Listen to this. He takes the throne at eight years old. Eight. Yes, he had people around him guiding him. But at 16 years old, eight years later after becoming the king of Judah, he began to pursue the Lord. Kids, teens, I want you to hear me really quickly. Don't wait until you're an adult. Don't wait until you're done college to serve the Lord, pursue the Lord. The time is now. You could be so powerful in your generation. He was 16 when he began to pursue the Lord, and he was 24 years old 
16 years into his throne when something monumental happened in the closet, in the, a closet where they shoved all kinds of stuff of the, in the temple of the Lord. A priest was cleaning it out and stumbled on a copy of the word of God, the Hebrew scriptures, the law of God. Nobody even knew it was there. Nobody even knew what the law of God was. It had been lost in obscurity. It was hiding, protected actually, in a closet of the temple. The guy finds it, brings it to his head priest. The priest brings it to Josiah, and Josiah says, read it to me. And when he read the word of God, the sword of truth, look at that painting. When he read the sword of truth, the Bible says Josiah tore his robe. That means he repented. He had the priests gather all the people of Judah, all of them. And then the priests read the word of God to the entire people. First, 2 Kings 23, verse 3. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. It's a revival. And what brought the revival? It was the word of God. It's always the word of God that brings the revival. And in this revival, Josiah purges Judah of all three pagan gods. I'm going to get you started on it, and you can read the rest. It's on the screen behind me. And the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, and the priests of the second order, and the keepers of the threshold, to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels made for Baal, for Asherah, and all the host of heaven. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. You know what the fields of the Kidron were? That's what Jesus pointed to when he said, that's Gehenna. That stands for the fiery pits of hell. It was the people of God's trash pile. It was their dung heap. They threw all the dung, all their trash down in that valley. And the Bible says, or historians say, there was a fire burning nonstop, all day, all night. That's where Josiah took all of these pagan implements. He burned them in the Kidron Valley, or otherwise called the Valley of Hinnom. And he even ground them to dust. He took the ashes after the fires cooled and sprinkled them on the graves of the common people. He didn't want anything. The graves of the common people were buried outside Jerusalem. He didn't want anything of this, this, these pagan gods inside God's holy city. He dealt with Baal. He dealt with Ashtoreth. And then he turned his sights on Molech. Here's what it says, verse 10. And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that's a Kidron Valley, that no one might burn his son or his daughter as an offering to Moloch. He even destroyed the high places of Jeroboam. It all started with Jeroboam. He destroyed the high places of Jeroboam, took his bones out of his grave, and cast them out of Jerusalem. Moreover, the altar at Bethel, the high place erected by Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he pulled down and burned, reducing it to dust. Now, how did this happen? The sword of truth, the word of God. It moved him to rise up and fight. He would not Give half measures. And whenever the church has done this, 
The power of Baal and Ashtoreth and Molech are defeated in history. Let me tell you what happened in Rome when those fathers did not want their babies and they had them taken to the steps of the courthouse. Guess who it was that rescued the babies and adopted them and raised them? It was the Christians. Guess who started the hospitals? It was the Christians. Whenever the church rises up, no longer in half measures, but in full war, the power of Baal, Asheroth, and Molech are broken. But the problem is the church is asleep. Final point, number three. Church, we fight from victory, not for victory. Let me bring you a real example. There is a local church Sorry, there's a local school in our area that has a nine-year-old boy going. His mother curls his hair and puts him in dresses and sends him off to school. Do you know why she does that? It's to spite her ex-husband because he's livid about it. Do you know how I know that? Because that little boy is a classmate of one of the kids that go to our church. And he went to his mom and said, that boy said to me, I don't want to wear these dresses, but my mom makes me. Friends, that's abuse. That is abuse. Have you seen the video? It's all on the internet. You're going to find it if you have the stomach to watch it. Parents taking their children to a drag queen strip show, men, men wearing G-strings, and the children, the parents push their children out with a little bit of money to go stuff it into the G-strings of the drag queens. That's abuse. Do you remember from a couple months ago the headlines of the drag parade members chanting, we're coming for your children, we're coming for your children. They actually wrote a song. This is a song to Molech. And the church has to rise up. We've got to support, we've got to get involved in ministries that will protect children and fearlessly hold out God's truth and demolish every argument. But here's the problem. For some of us, you don't even know where the word of God is. It's in a closet of your heart. You haven't brought it out in ages. And a lot of us, it's sheathed. You got to pull it out. You got to know it. You've got to speak it or you're going to have half measures. You're going to hold back. Friends, this is war. We've got to rise up and fight from the victory of Christ. And I'm going to say something that some of you are likely not going to agree with. And I would just at least ask you to think through it before you end with your final verdict. The problem in our nation is not really the demonic entities behind Baal, Asheroth, and Molech. Um, that's really not. The problem with our nation is the church is anemic. We have fallen, we have fallen asleep. And we are fighting with half measures. That's the problem. 
God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Here's the result. Far above authority, far above all rule, all authority, power, dominion. These are the demonic entities above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So rule, authority, power, dominion, it includes every demonic entity, including Satan himself. Jesus is authoritatively above him. He's already broken their power. How did he do it? All right, this is the most important thing I'm going to tell you, and it won't be too much longer. 600 years after Manasseh burned his son to Molech, there would be another father who would lift up his son to be sacrificed. Now listen, this time, however, the son was not going to be a screaming, exposed, vulnerable, helpless victim. He's going to be a willing sacrifice. And the father this time was not going to be a demonically influenced, self-deceived, dispassionate man. It's going to be the heaven, heavenly father who loves sinners so much he, he had a way to save them. God, the father, conquered Satan through the death, willing death of his son, Jesus. And not only would he conquer Satan, he would break the power of this world system by bringing his kingdom to bear. And the rebellious sin nature in every one of us would eventually ebb away and grow more and more anemic. It's power broken through the cross. That's the victory that's already been had. But how do we wrestle? How do we fight? Well, I have to be really clear because we're in a crazy, crazy world. You should not think leaving this message that you should blow up abortion clinics nor kill abortion doctors. There are people that have done that. That's not the gospel. First, we hold out the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Some of us really honestly think there's more power in politics than the word of God. You do not know. You do not know. It's the word of God that revives nations. And by it, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. The only power that could demolish arguments and lofty opinions against God is the sword of the spirit. You can't debate somebody into it. You can't rationalize them into it. It is the sword of the spirit. Number two, not only do we hold out the sword of the spirit, we love well. We've got to love better. Even those who have been deceived and given their babies up in abortion, let me just say this, I know people that have had abortions. And I want to tell you, I want to be the one that tells you the loudest, that when you tear your robes, figuratively you repent and you come back to your heavenly father acknowledging what you have done, which was the killing of a life. When you acknowledge that and you come to the father, the balm of Gilead comes over your soul. His forgiveness will settle upon you and he will never retrieve that act. He will never bring it up against you again. He will never judge you by it again. It is gone. It is gone for eternity. You have favor with the father just like Jesus. Jesus, his son, does. That's the truth. So don't beat yourself up more than you need to. Go forward in the light of that truth and wage war against it. 
but we love well. And we help people discover the repentance of Josiah that can lead to God's grace forgiveness. But let me give you one more thing. We wrestle harder now that we can see the true enemies behind what's happening. The true enemies are demonic. They're not flesh and blood. And we're fighting the wrong fight. It's not Republican against Democrat. It's not libertarian trying to stand in the middle. The problem is not politics. Yes, we need to vote well. I already told you. Denise and I won't vote for anybody that's pro-choice, pro-abortion. But that's not the answer. The answer is God's word. We've got to see the true enemy, and that's a demonic entity. I had a friend of mine uh, ask me recently, well, if Christ has already gained victory, why is the battle fiercely happening? And it just so happens I had read and studied someone who had studied the history of military warfare. And over and over you see the same thing. And that is when, when one side realizes they're going to be defeated, they lost the battle. They often fight more fierce, more cruelly, more viciously, with more passion than ever before. It's an odd paradigm. And that's what we're seeing, I think, with the demons today. They know they've already lost the battle. They already know. They're not arguing with that. But they have absolutely pulled out all the stops. And the church cannot fight from half measures. we got to love better than we ever have. we got to know the word of God on she that pull it out, demolish arguments. We've got to be the church. We've got to give the hope of the gospel and see the revival that can come back to this land. Doing nothing is not an option. I'm going to end with this and a story, and I'll be done. Here's what God warns. Ready? you got to hear this. If the people of the land do at all close their eyes to that man when he gives one of his children to Molech, and do not put him to death, and I will set my face against that man and against his clan, and will cut them off from among their people, him and all who follow him in whoring after Molech. If you see abortions happening, you see Planned Parenthood with all their federally gifted money, you see all these things happening, and you close your eyes to that, thinking there's nothing I could do, yeah, another bad thing, kind of no longer shocks you. You have closed your eyes. You are half measures, and God will turn his favor away from you. Get involved. Stand up. Speak the truth love well, and take full measures. I'm going to share this story, and then I'll be done. I remember, I mean, when Denise and I were pregnant down in Georgia with Matthew, man, we had no idea what we were, talking, what we were doing. And all the Lamaz classes at that point did not prepare us very well. And when we had, when Denise delivered Matthew, the nurses took him and about five feet away, put him under that sun lamp, and they started cleaning him up and stamping his hands and his feet. And and I'm holding Denise. I'm at the head of her bed, and I'm holding her and comforting her. And Matthew's just crying and crying and crying. I will never forget what happened next. I looked over at Matthew, and I said, Matthew, it's Daddy. He stopped crying in a second and turned his face toward me. And when he turned his face toward me, it felt like an electric shock went from my head down to my feet. Because the bond between my son and me was formed in that moment. I had been speaking to Denise's belly while she was pregnant with him. He knew my voice. But let me tell you the bond that was even stronger. 
Because the moment they put him in Denise's arms, the bond did not form then. The bond had already formed months earlier. Why? Because that baby inside her was a person. He had personality. He had passions. He had life. He had energy. He knew his mom's smell. He knew his mom's feel. He knew his mom's nurturance. He knew his mom's touch and her voice. Because the bond had already formed. Listen carefully. It is life inside that womb. And to end it is murder. And we cannot allow it. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what we are studying and what we have studied. Lord, I pray that our eyes are opened. And Lord, that we would fight, not with half measures, not with violence, but with the word of God, the sword of truth, and be fearless. Even if we lose friends like I have, even if we lose jobs, because we will not compromise. We will protect babies. We will affirm and recognize life in the womb. Even if all of the world and the fury of hell itself comes against us, the victory is already had. Our God reigns above it all. Lord, let us step up and fight. And in Jesus' name, amen.